do what we do every Sunday before we turn to the book of Acts. Let's remind each other of the gospel by quoting John 3.16. Then let's join with Christians all over in praying the Lord's Prayer. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We're going to read in Acts 16, starting in verse 23, and go through the rest of the chapter. We're looking at the third convert that's featured in this missionary work in the first church in Europe, the church of Philippi. So read with me now in verse 23. After they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully, receiving such an order. He put them in the inner prison and secured their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew a sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, sirs. What must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus. That's it. That's all that's required. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. He took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them and rejoiced because he, uh, he had come to believe in God with his entire household. It wasn't just baptizing children, don't know what's going on. Everybody heard the gospel, everybody got saved, everybody responded. When daylight came, the chief magistrate sent the police to say, release those men. The jailer reported these words to Paul, the magistrates have sent orders for you to be released, so come out now and go in peace, Paul said to them. They beat us in public without a trial, although we are Roman citizens and threw us in jail. And now they're going to send us away secretly? Certainly not. On the contrary, they can come themselves and escort us out. I'm going to make a little comment right here. I don't think Paul was offended and doing this as a way of expressing that he got his feelings hurt because they broke the law when they punished him. I think what he's doing is he's saying, I'm going to stand up for the Roman rights because when I leave, I don't want somebody else mistreated and treated illegally. I think of the coach recently whose Supreme Court case allowed him to kneel without saying anything on a football field based on the First Amendment. I think there's sometimes when you sit here and say, I'm going to make a stand for the legal rights that I have so they will not be taken away. So I think that's what he was doing. Well, we'll stop right there. And I'm going to chase a rabbit before I get to my sermon. Acts 16, 31, 
Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. That's how I memorized it in the King James. And your household, it says in the CSB. Is this particular promise a promise that you as parents can claim so that you can know for certain that your children will be saved? Now, now let me explain something. I don't believe that's what this verse does. I think this was a specific word to a specific person. He said to this jailer, if you put your faith in Jesus, your household will be saved. But that does not mean, because, and I'll just tell you this as a pastor who served for many years, I know of godly people who have raised children who did not come to know Christ. But I will tell you this, there is a precedent here. The likelihood that your children will follow Christ is much stronger if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I believe the majority of people who are in church today were people who were raised in church. And I'll do my first job of proving it in the services downstairs and with you. Right now, I want to ask you this question. If you're here today and you were raised in church, would you raise your hand high? If you look around, that is an overwhelming majority. Now, I thank God for those who've come to Christ who weren't raised in church. But the majority of you raised your hands. We'll find that in all of our services. The National Study on Youth and Religion a, few, a couple of years ago did a study and they found that 82% of young people stay with their faith. They don't walk away from their faith if two things happen. If their parents talk about their faith at home with their children and if the parents go and are active with their children in church. It's not just send them. So if you're talking about your faith to your children, you're active in church with your children, 82% of those children will still be in church as young adults. Uh, a Christian magazine did a survey of its readers, and it found out that 86% of those who are workers in church were raised in Sunday school. I'm glad we still have Sunday school and stress that. So children who go to Sunday school are likely to become workers there. And I can say this as a pastor. And as a father and a grandfather, I'm seeing this with my children. I'm so grateful that my grandchildren are being raised in homes where they're actively involved in church. And I'm watching my grandchildren grow up to love Jesus. And, and I, I, I just can't say enough. The old traditional way, get your kids in church, raise them in church, go with them, talk about the Lord at home. That will make a difference. Now. All the rabbits are, about, are gone. All of the comments are gone. I'm ready for my sermon. So I've entitled this sermon, Singing at Midnight. Because here we talk about Paul and Silas singing at midnight and praising God. I think midnight, it literally happened. It literally was midnight they were singing. Please understand this. But there's a sense in which midnight can also be a metaphor of dark times in life. You could almost say a midnight experience would be the hard times you go through, the harsh things you experience. Uh, this had been a tough experience for Paul and Silas. They were beaten by rods. The Romans actually had a professional set of people. They called them lictors, L-I-C-T-O-R-S. And they were people who were trained to take the rods and beat somebody right to the edge of death. They knew how to do, do that. And by the time they got through with the beating, there would be little skin left on their back. And then they were ordered to be put in the bottom of the, of the jail with their feet in stocks. Now, you've got to understand, here they are. They're sit, their feet are here. They're sitting up. There's no skin on their back. 
The only way they could have gotten any sleep that night would be to lay down. And you can't lay down if there's no skin on your back. You can't turn on your side if your feet are in stock. You can't sleep on your stomach if your feet are in stock. So here they were. And, and on top of this, we read that their beating was an illegal beating. They had been done wrong. But if you want to go even farther, they could have been doubting God because here they were in Philippi. They just received this hard beating and God had given them a vision to come to that exact place. So they were in the middle of God and their world fell apart. Now, there's a lot of people who would just stop and have a pity party right there. But instead, they are singing and praising God. Now, I'm sure that probably everyone that will listen to me today, or at least most of you, if you haven't had this, you're just not old enough. But almost everybody that will listen to me has been through a midnight experience. I'll mention three in my life. A few years ago, you remember, we were called in the middle of the night because my son was involved in an accident and he had traumatic brain injury. He was on a ventilator. They weren't sure he was going to live through the night. And so we made our way in the middle of, in the wee hours of the morning. And we were there in the ICU unit with the machine breathing for my son, my wife and I and the nurse there. I'll tell you, that's a dark time. And we weren't sure that if he woke up, that the brain, as a pastor, I've seen so many people with traumatic brain injuries that are a shell of themselves after that. And so we didn't know what his future would be. That was a hard night. Back in 18 years ago, my daughter, who, <laughs> when I sent her off to college, she looked at me and says, Dad, you're wasting your money. All I ever want to be is a wife and a, and a mama. And so we said, well, thank you. <laughs> God brought a great husband into her life, and she was pregnant for the first time. And then she went into preeclampsia. That's a rough illness for a pregnant woman to have. They took the baby uh, early. Uh, she went in, he went into the NICU. She was there at Memorial Mission. I saw her. She was so weak, it took a couple of days before they could get her to where she could hold her own baby. I went up and fellowshiped with her. Karen stayed, of course. I had to go back and preach. I was, I'd done the previous week the, the funerals of two 14-year-old girls who, who took their mama's car for a joyride. And I knew our church was hurting, and I needed to address that. As soon as the service was over, I got a call from Karen, and she said, you've got to get up here now. Sarah has gone into something called ARDS, Acute Respiratory Distress Syndrome, and they don't know if she's going to live. And there's nothing you can do. The doctor gave her a 50-50 chance that she would live. She's finally had a baby. All she ever wanted to be was a mama. And they had her on a ventilator. She was there from Sunday until Thursday before she could revive and say something to us. And I remember standing, and you can only go in, what, 20 minutes every few hours? And I remember standing over my daughter saying, Lord, all she ever wanted was to be a mama. Please let her live. To raise that child. And then I had another dark time in the ministry. I've mentioned this before. But I had two angry leaders. One was a former leader. One was a current leader. Who demanded to have a deacon's meeting that I could not attend. And a friend of mine came to sit with me. A pastor in Macon. And he sat. And we could look out, in the, out of my window at that parsonage. And see the parking lot. And when that deacon's meeting went to 11. Listening to these men's complaints. My friend looked at me and said, I'll just have to say, it's not good. It's just not good. And so I sat there at one of the darkest points of my ministry there. 
So I think we all tend to go through dark times in our lives, midnight experiences. So what I want to do is give you four truths as I go through this sermon today about singing at midnight. Number one, God can still be praised at midnight. God can still be praised at midnight. That first Sunday night that we were in the ICU, when my daughter was in the ICU at Mission, Karen and I stayed in the waiting room. We were the only people that spent the night there that particular night. We both had our Bibles open because we couldn't sleep. We both found promises from God that kept us going and we prayed. But sometime during that week, the nurse that was tending to Sarah walked up to my wife and put a slip of paper in her hands. And it was a scripture verse. And she just wanted to encourage her that God was in control. God had this. You can be in a midnight experience and and God can still be praised as grace comes to us in those dark times. If you remember old hymns, one of the hymns that we used to love to sing was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Sweetest name I know fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. That was written by a Methodist evangelist named Luther Bridges. One time he was called to do a revival, and so because he had a wife and three small children, he took them to his wife's parents' house and said, stay here. I'll go do this meeting. And so he went and he preached, and it was glorious. Every night the Spirit of God fell. People were being saved. And finally when the last night was over, and it was probably the best night, he couldn't wait to get to a phone and call his wife to tell her all the good things that happened. And when he called there, he was met with news that destroyed him. That evening, a fire broke out in his father-in-law's house. And his wife and three children all died in the flame. Listen, this hymn was written right after that. This is a man who literally sang at midnight. Listen to one of the verses. Though sometimes he leads through waters deep, trials fall across the way. Though sometimes the paths seem rough and steep, See his footprints all the way. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. God can still be praised at midnight. Second truth I want to give you on this passage is this. Some of the strongest witnesses occur at midnight. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. You know, they can't sleep. You can't lay back down. So let's just go praise God for a while. And everybody there, nobody's sleeping that night because they're hearing what they're saying. That's the reason why when the jailer came in and says, what must I do to be saved? He'd been listening to them talking about salvation. He'd heard the gospel listening in like the other prisoners had been listening in to this extraordinary sight of people who who could praise God in the midst of that time. And I want to tell you something, folks, as a pastor, I've watched this over and over again. I've watched good people go through hard times. And the contrast with those who are Christians and the contrast with those who are not is tremendous. I think some of the strongest witnesses that are ever given are not given when you're on the mountaintop. They're given when you're in the valley. And when you sit here and say, I, my life is in wreck, is a wreck now, but I am so grateful that I am a Christian. And so, think about that. Uh, there was a man named Bill Harburn who was raised in a Buddhist home. His parents had come to America from Japan. 
He was befriended, befriended by a local youth ministry and started attending a local church. But his father got upset. He said, the one thing you can never do, we're Buddhist. You never become a Christian. Well, one day he was looking across the dinner table at Bill and he said, I can tell you become a Christian, haven't you? And he said, I have dad. And he picked up a steak knife and he started moving to him. He said, then I'm going to kill you. And, and Bill very calmly said, dad, go ahead and kill me. But would you let me tell you about Jesus first? And he dropped his knife and said, get your clothes, get out of here. So he kicked him out of the home right then. Fortunately, the youth minister brought him in. He finished his high school years living with the youth minister, went on to have his life. Later on in life, that father became terminally ill with cancer, had to go to treatments to get the chemo. His mom called me and told him, called him and told him about that. And, and what, what he did, he said, Mom, I'm going to be the one that takes Dad to the chemo. You don't worry about that. So he began to serve his father and rebuild that relationship. And one day as they were going on their way to one of the chemotherapy treatments, he said, Dad, you know I've been wanting to talk to you. He said, Son, don't, don't worry. I want you to know I've already become a Christian. So a powerful witness can happen at midnight. midnight. Number three, lost people can be saved at midnight. Lost people can be saved at midnight. D.L. Moody, in one of his sermons entitled Instant Conversion, uses this story to prove that you can one moment be completely lost with no background and the next moment be saved. It doesn't take a long period of instruction and church attendance. Here's a man that until that night had never heard the gospel. He puts his faith in Jesus and he's a different person. So here's a person at midnight, hears the gospel, and he comes to know Christ. Uh... For the jailer, it was midnight for him. In Roman law, if a prisoner escaped, you would have to serve whatever sentence they had. Well, there were prisoners there who were under the death penalty. He said, I would rather take my own life than have the lictor get on my back before they put me to death. And so he's about to commit suicide. Uh, in, in the book of Acts, we already have read about how Herod, when God sent an angel, got Peter out of prison, the first thing he did was kill the jailers, even though they had no clue. It was done at midnight, done while they were asleep. God opened quickly the doors, and out was Peter, and they were killed. So here's a person at the darkest time of night. Now, occasionally I have people say, Pastor, I know I need to be a Christian, but I don't think it would be right simply come to God right now because my life has fallen apart. That, that would almost be like, wow, I, I'm using God. No, let me, can I explain something to you about the Father? And those of you who are parents, you know this. You don't care why your children come to you. You just want them to come to you. And what happens is this. So many of us are so stubbornly independent, so stubborn, stubbornly rebellious, that oftentimes we won't actually come to God until we hit that midnight hour. And so good things, people can be saved at midnight. Now let me give you the last point here. God has good things still to come after midnight. God has good things still to come after midnight. He went home with this man, got to preach the gospel to him and all of his household, had the privilege of baptizing them before the sun rose that day. 
had the, had the privilege of being ministered to them, ministered to by the jailer. The jailer's the one who took a, a water and washed his wounds and said, let me see if I can bandage you. And, and he became one of the converts of this church. This church became the closest church emotionally to Paul the rest of his life. He would talk about how, what a special bond he had with the churches at Macedonia, with this Philippian church. So there were good things that happened after this midnight experience. But if you don't mind... I'd like to walk through those three incidences in my life and tell you about what's the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say. Oftentimes, because it wasn't too many years ago when Daniel had his accident, I'll have people come up and say, how is Daniel doing? I, I want to tell you something, folks. God was merciful. He has fully physically, mentally recovered. Uh, he is doing well in his business. God has done a work in his life. Well, Karen and I missed one Sunday so far this year. And in the spring when we missed that, we went to sit in church with him at his church that he's active in. And so I praise God that after midnight, God still had good things for Daniel and he's doing well. Sarah is doing well, but that little child that she had that day was the first of four. Now I will say this, she had four children, she also had four miscarriages. So it wasn't as if life was altogether easy for her, but they are incredible. Matt is such a great husband. My soul, if I could clone him and offer all of you who have daughters, that, that would be the husband that you need to have for your daughters. And they have a wonderful family. Their family is very active in church. Their second child, Ella, along with Matt, greet every Sunday at their church. They, have, they, they get assigned to different services because they've got multiple services, but they, they take that as their privilege. Noah is on, the old, that child that was born, is on the praise team that sings on the platform on Sunday morning. And this summer, God called him to preach. And that little boy in that NICU will start in, in January at Southeastern Seminary's college and... He has decided this summer to drive over on Wednesday night, get up on Thursday morning, and attend my Baptist history class. So I've got that little boy taking Baptist history with me, and he's doing well. The church that I told you about that we watched across the parking lot, my friend said, this is not good. This is not good. They listened to the complaints of those two men. They've appointed a small team of men to express their complaints I answered them, and they were such petty things. One of the four complaints was I'd baptized a child before the grandparents arrived. Well, we had a set of baptism time. Uh, one of the complaints was I wasn't going to the Southern Baptist Convention every June. I, I rarely do it anyway. I, I decided to stay there and visit hospitals, and they were complaining that I wasn't going. I mean, it was that kind of thing. When, once they had read their four complaints to me, a godly, godly man on that committee, along with another one, said, we owe this man an apology. He has been done wrong in this incident. And sure enough, within a year, I got an official letter of apology from that particular church because of the actions of those two men and how they'd made my life difficult. But can I share with you how God has good things for you after midnight? Within weeks, I was here. <laughs> Out of that church. <laughs> and serving as your pastor in the 90s. And if God had come up to me and said, you'll put up with five years with them, I'll give you Hendersonville, I'd have said, where's the contract? Let me sign it right now. 
So good things still happen after midnight. Now I know some of you right now are at midnight and my heart goes out to you, but I want to tell you something. If you'll think about it, you can find reasons to praise God now. If you're a Christian, you can praise him for your salvation, can't you? You you can praise him for the fact his grace is sufficient. You can praise him that one day we'll be in heaven and the last tear will be wiped away. We've got grounds to praise him right now, don't we? Why don't we pray right now? Oh, Lord, we come to you now, and you're worthy of praise at any hour of the day, any time in our life. You are good, and you always show off your goodness. I pray for those who are going through hard times now that your grace will go out to them. Bless them. We just put our lives in your hands in a fresh way in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to sing the song that I quoted in the service. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Though sometimes he leads through waters deep, trials fall across the way. Though sometimes the path seems rough and steep, see his footprints all the way. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. Well, I hope your heart's been encouraged as you've been here. The hospitality suite is up the ramp. If you want to talk about joining the church, that's where it happens. I think we had... Ten people joined in the last week, as well as four that were baptized at a youth camp. So I'm, I'm grateful for how God is blessing our church, and you can go there if you need prayer. See, people can take time with you there instead of rushing at the end of the service. So make your way there. Sunday school follows. Find a good class and get yourselves involved in that. That would be wonderful. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen. I'll be over there.